We are still at the elegant affair at Anna Pavlovna's. She is an attendant to the Empress, and Anna has agreed to watch over Pierre at Prince Vasily's request. Anna knew who Pierre's father was, namely one of the richest men in the country, and that the Count was related to Prince Vasily. Then we get an introduction to another and more important Anna, Anna Drubetskaya. And she's not well off, but she's quite able to navigate the society crowd with her acumen. She did belong to a wealthy family. She's a widow, and it's indicated some of her assets are tied up in the court system in some type of surrogate's battle. But on this night, she has one card to play for her son, Boris. And it's because her father helped Prince Vasily early in Vasily's own career. So right before Prince Vasily is going to leave, Anna seizes him by the hand. She begins, Prince Vasily, it will be nothing for you to do to get a word to the emperor and have my son transferred to the Imperial Guards. The Imperial Guard is well-renowned. It was an innovation by Peter the Great in the late 17th century and modeled on the Prussian Imperial Guard and is characterized by the observance of very strict codes of discipline. Their original duty was to guard the emperor, hence the name Imperial Guard but their responsibilities expanded. It sort of became the elite core of all branches of the military, and for a very long time they were stationed around St. Petersburg. Prince Vasily tries to blow her off and says, go talk to this person, gives her a name. But Anna responds, I already spoke to him, and now I'm speaking to you. It's not before long that Anna is appealing to the prince with tears in her eyes. And she says, remember all those years back, what my father did for you. I've never brought it up, but now I entreat you, in God's name, please help us. Here, Tolstoy wisely points out that influence is a capital to be used with economy if it is to last. It's a good quote for both literature and to remember in life. Now, Prince Vasily really didn't want to go out of his way to help her, but he was painted into a corner, and he got the idea that Anna would not quit until she got what she wanted. So he relents says, even though it's nearly impossible, I will get it done. And then Anna takes it a step further. And we get introduced to a historical character. Anna says, please, and recommend him as an adjunct to General Kutuzov, Mikhail Kutuzov. Now this is a figure revered in world military circles. And Prince Vasily is taken aback. And he says, even I can't do that. But Anna still keeps her hand fastened to Prince Vasily's. And she doesn't let go until he promises to speak to the emperor. And he does. She had one card and played it for all it was worth. And Prince Vasily finally gets to go home. So then we're brought back into the party. And as you would expect, the political talk once again centers on Bonaparte. The host Anna says, Napoleon is a threat to all and the sovereigns of Europe will stand up to him. She's speaking of a great deal of royalty that no longer exists, much to do with Napoleon ushering in a new age. Then, a new character, the Vicomte Mortemont, gets into the conversation. Vicomte would be the French pronunciation, or Viscount in English. Tolstoy characterizes him as a pretty young gentleman with soft features. The Vicomte mentions that some royalty is willing to come to terms with Bonaparte, and here... Prince André takes the occasion to speak up and quote Napoleon at his coronation in Milan. In English, the phrase goes, God gave me this, 
meaning his crown or kingship. Beware of who touches it. In French, it's Tu me le don, gars, à qui le touché. With this, Pierre very much wants to get a word in, but consistent with his character when he attempts to do so, it's very forced and unnatural. He basically sledgehammers his way in. At first, Anna, the hostess, begins to stop him. She believes it's part of her duty in keeping an eye on him. She references Emperor Alexander's stance that Napoleon must be stopped and that French public opinion is quite divided on Napoleon. Mortemont then references how Napoleon ordered the execution of a well-known member of the royal family in France, Louis-Anton de Bourbon. At this point, Pierre finally gets himself into the conversation, while breaching decorum at the same time by giving Napoleon outright support. He says that, referring to the execution, was a necessity. The boldness of this both shocked and quieted everybody. Pierre continues, There was anarchy, and the greatest man in history came in and restored order. He was the guy to do things, to bring ideas into reality for the betterment of man. Napoleon is a man who towers above the revolution. He stopped its abuses. I mean, Pierre is really on a roll. He speaks about Napoleon preserving only that which was worth preserving from the period of the revolution namely equality of citizenship, freedom of speech, freedom of the press. He characterizes Napoleon as a force of nature that was necessary for human betterment. Tolstoy points out that Pierre, in his youth, had the need to give full expression to whatever was on his mind. The other guests are left unimpressed. And Mortemont responds, These are nice-sounding, long-desired ideals. Who hasn't preached these things in different forms throughout the ages? Our Savior preached for all of these. But he asks Pierre in particular, has Napoleon's rule made the average person's life better? Are they happier now in France than when they were under the monarchy? Mortemont points out that the people were appealing for a version of freedom, and Napoleon destroyed that. It's important to remember that Mortemont is doing this from the position of a French exile. He then goes through a list of what he calls some of Napoleon's great abuses. He refers to the bloodless coup of 18 Brumaniere, when Napoleon took over power from what was called the Directory, sort of the committee then leading France, which was somewhat moderate. And before he can really get going, Prince André's wife, Lise, she chimes in, which is quite the rare event, as she knows of the abuse of Napoleon's prisoners in Africa. Lise is likely referring to the siege of Jaffa, which is in modern-day Israel, and you would know as Tel Aviv. This was a situation where Napoleon was fighting against the Ottomans. Napoleon's army had surrounded Jaffa, and he sent in an emissary to try to effectuate a surrender on honorable terms. But the messengers were decapitated, and the response was to continue to fight, and once Napoleon had prevailed, put the prisoners to the sword. It's estimated that perhaps a thousand or two thousand prisoners were executed by bayonet. And there's also some idea that the majority were Albanians. Some historians note that Napoleon did not have the means of guarding the prisoners, and he was strategically worried about releasing them, only to having them regroup and fight against him in the very near future. He did allow a number of citizens to leave who did in fact regroup and became fierce adversaries. The crowd was definitely turning against Pierre, 
who was reduced to an uncomfortable smile, with even the little princess speaking up against him. And much of this novel will involve Pierre's transformation from this awkward figure who embraced Napoleon into one of strong resolve defending his land from invasion of that very same force. The Vicomte is only heard from in this early portion of the book and not later when Napoleon actually invades. With respect to Mortemont and his title, Vicomte, that can signify a broad range of nobility. Now with all aghast at Pierre, Prince André comes to his assistance with a soft and diplomatic tongue. He says, or redirects, that Napoleon should be broken down and thought of as an individual on one hand and as a general on the other. And Prince André finds that as a person, Napoleon can be quite magnanimous. But as a general, some of his actions could be hard to justify. The subtext here is that Prince André has a deep admiration for much of Napoleon's actions. André points out how Napoleon has this deep, real connection with his troops and often visits them when they're injured and in hospitals. And he has a sheer genius in tactics. And he brings up some of those, such as the Battle of Arco in 1796 against Austria. The talk was getting very uncomfortable and contentious. So Prince Hippolyte, one of Vasily's sons, wanted to bring things down a notch. And he did so inadvertently by telling a confused story that stunned everybody. It was something about a girl in Moscow in a carriage, and nobody could follow along with it. But it was a diversion that led to further small talk on other topics and took the focus off of Pierre. Hippolyte is described as being quite dull, even though in this circumstance his dullness showed a great deal of tact.